The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it, be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Thank you, Nell. Father, I pray that you would um, speak to us this morning through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Richard. Uh, I'm part of the team here at St. Paul's. And um, it's lovely to be able to uh, speak to you for a few moments this morning. We're um, going to be starting, we are starting this morning a, a kind of brief series running through uh, Matthew chapter 5, which is, I'm sure lots of you will know, is um, the first chapter of what's often called uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this well-known passage of teaching from, that Jesus gave. And today, as you just heard, we're going to start by looking at the Beatitudes, which are uh, a whole series of statements that we like to kind of stick a magnet to and put on our fridge, because they're lovely words, aren't they? And they're well-known and familiar. And so we like them uh, on our fridge door. And that's what we're going to look at. But um, before I do that, I just want to tell you a little story. When I was um, a little, well, a few years ago, I used to have the, the pleasure of um, leading or helping to lead a youth group. And um, we used to meet on a Wednesday evening. And I remember this very uh, particular Wednesday evening. It was in uh, October. And I was uh, there at the youth group and standing by the door near the tuck shop, which was my favourite place to stand. And um, I remember seeing this young man come into to the youth group. And I didn't recognise him. I, had, I hadn't seen him before. And so, um, good. So, um, so when he came in, I went up to him and I said, oh, hi, you know, um, my name's Richard. I, I don't recognise you, you know. And, he, and I said, what's your name? And he said, my name's, uh, for the sake of the story this morning, my name's Jack. I said, oh, I said, uh, so I started talking to Jack and just try and find out a little bit about him. And I said, Jack, you know, where, where do you go to school? And he says, I don't go to school. I said, oh, right. I said, um, why don't you go to school? He said, I got chucked out of school. So I said, oh, okay. I said, well, which, which school was it that you used to go to? And he said, well, I used to go to that school and they chucked me out, and I went to this school, and they chucked me out. 
And then I went to that school and they chucked me out. And then I went to this school and they chucked me out. And then I went to that school and they chucked me out. And then I went to the local behavioural unit and they chucked me out. <laughs> now, I was looking at Jack at this point and, like, you know, on the outside, I was trying to look quite relaxed with him. Inside, I was freaking out at this point. Because I'd been in that town for quite a long time, and I knew quite a lot of the people at the local, some of the kids and the staff at the local behavioural unit. I had never, ever heard of somebody being thrown out of the local behavioural unit. In my mind, that was last chance saloon. There was nothing else after the local behavioural unit. Nobody got thrown out of there. And this boy is telling me that he's been thrown out of there. So I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So I say, say well, Jack, what, what happens? You can't just not go to school. And he says... He said, a lady from social services comes to my house for an hour a day and teaches me at home. I was like, wow, okay. And I said, what's going to happen? He said, well, they're looking for a school for me. And um, it's in October, and I'm looking at Jack, and he's just a little guy, really. I said, um, I said Jack, do you mind me asking, what year should you be in? And Jack says, I should be in year nine. So he's 14, and he's been thrown out in two years. He's been thrown out of six schools, including the local behavioural unit. And I'm thinking, I mean, I was kind of a little bit nervous. And he just walks into our youth group one Wednesday evening. Over the next two weeks, I absolutely understood why it was that Jack had been thrown out of six schools. This is not a criticism of the schools. I have never, ever known anybody to have the capacity to cause trouble like Jack had. He's just a little guy, but wow, he could just cause chaos in any situation. And I used to think, I am so glad that you're a little guy. Because if you were a big guy, we would be in real trouble. But he just could cause utter chaos in every situation that he was in. He was a nightmare. But at the same time, over those few weeks that we started to get to know Jack, we started to have a bit of a heart for him. We started to love him. We went round and we had to go round because he was always in trouble. So we had to go round and speak to his, his mum. So we got to know her a little bit. We got to hear a bit of her story. Everything surrounding their life was a nightmare. And so he caused so much trouble, but we had a heart for him. We kind of loved him. After a few weeks, after or a little while, I can't remember how long it was, but um, Jack decides he'll start bringing his mates along. Normally that's a great thing in the youth group. You really celebrate it. <laughs> we were not so keen. But his mates started coming, and then they started coming to our evening service. And it was unbelievable. <laughs> he, he, it was, he would just cause such disruption. And there was one evening that I'll never, ever forget. Um, we were, we'd kind of just about survived the worship, and that doesn't mean that the worship team were awful that night. It was just like we'd just sort of managed to survive with this group of young people in our evening service. And it comes to the sermon, and it's our vicar who's speaking that night. And um, our vicar gets up, and um, as he starts to speak, Jack decides that what he's going to do tonight 
is he is going to blow a raspberry on his forearm throughout the entire sermon. So he is just sitting there with his hand like that in front of his mouth, blowing raspberries through the whole sermon. Now, our vicar, he struggled to be brief at the best of times. But you can imagine, this sermon was really dragging on. <laughs> and, um, and, and people from the church, would, they'd, go up to, they'd go up to Jack and they'd say, oh, would you mind just, maybe just you know, quietening down a little bit, very sort of English way, just rein it in. And he'd just stand up and he'd swear at them. He had absolutely no fear of anybody, no fear of authority, no fear whatsoever. He'd just stand up in front of the whole lot and just swear at the person that was speaking to him. It was just awful. It felt like the longest half an hour of my life. And um, as the youth team, we were, they were just, I could see them, they were just sort of sitting at the back, their heads was in their hands. Nobody really knew what to do. And at the end of the talk, um, our vicar says, um, let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I think I speak for everyone in the congregation. We were not thinking that that was a good plan. <laughs> we were thinking, let's go home, let's put Top Gear on, let's have a bottle of gin, everything's better in the morning, let's just, let's just call it a night. It's just, you know, but no, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. All right, so we all stand up. And at this point, because Jack was quite mobile during our services, you can, you can read into that whatever you want. <laughs> I was sort of, he was sort of roughly to my left in the same sort of row of chairs. And um, as we're just standing there waiting, it sounds to me like Jack's beginning to cry. And I look over at Jack and I just think, I reckon you're just having a laugh, mate. I reckon you're just having us on again. And... Um, and then it, it, it starts to dawn on me that actually, I know I genuinely think that he's crying. And after a little while, he, he actually just sort of falls to the floor. He just is kneeling on the floor, and he is sobbing. And everybody's looking. Nobody's really engaging in anything else. Everyone's just, like, staring. And after a little while um, of that, Jack just gets up and he runs out. And um, one of the, the team that was sort of near the door uh, went after him. And um, just sort of said, you know, are you all right? What's going on? And I don't, I don't remember the exact words that were said, but, but in essence, what, what Jack said is, he said, I've never been loved like this before. I've never been accepted like this before. And that was, that was the start for him, I guess, of a really of an amazing journey. I'm not saying that it was easy. It really wasn't. There was so much in his life that made life so hard for him and so hard for people that were around him. But in that moment, God in his grace, when everybody else was just thinking of Top Gear and some cheese on toast, God in his grace just reaches out and says, I love you. I accept you. And it was great just to see that little boy just in that brief moment meet with his father who really did love him and who really did accept him. Now you may think that's a, 
that's a good story, but aren't we supposed to be talking about the Beatitudes? And you're absolutely right, we are. But I just wonder if you might allow me to set the Beatitudes within the context that Matthew sets them. If we go to the end of Matthew chapter 3, something truly amazing happens. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's out in the middle of nowhere at the Jordan River and he is baptising people. And he's causing quite a stir. You know, there's, people are flocking to him to be baptised. And Jesus goes out to John to be baptised in the Jordan River. Jesus joins the queue of people there at the Jordan. And when John sees that Jesus is in the queue, he's a bit surprised. And he says, Jesus, um, you know, I shouldn't baptise you, you should baptise me. And Jesus says, no, this is how it has to be. And Jesus gets baptised by John in the river. By queuing up, by being baptised, Jesus is identifying himself right at the very beginning of his ministry with two different types of people. He's identifying himself with sinners who need to be cleansed. And he's identifying himself with Gentiles. In other words, Jesus right at the beginning is, who had no sin himself, but Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry identifying himself with two people that were on the outside of Jewish society the sinner and the Gentile. If you wanted to convert to Judaism, you had to go through this um, huge kind of ceremonial washing. And so right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus queues up and gets baptised in the Jordan and identifies himself with people who are on the outside, sinners and Gentiles. And then, and then something really unbelievable happens because um, he, he, Jesus is baptised and as he comes out of the water... Matthew says, all of the gospel writers say this, that there was a voice. And the voice said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. There was a voice from heaven that as Jesus came out of the water said, this is my son. In other words, the voice was saying, the king has come. The king has come. And then Matthew tells us that, that what happens then is that Jesus gets led, so this is the beginning of chapter 4, he gets led out into the wilderness and he's tested and, uh, by the devil. And Luke tells us that when he returns from the wilderness, he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you would think when you're at that point, fantastic. This is the moment. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Rome. Let's go to the places of power and let's do this stuff. But this is what Matthew tells us. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Leaving Nazareth, which was a tiny, tiny little village, just a few hundred people at, at most, he went and lived, not in Jerusalem, not in Rome. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was also a tiny tiny little village and that little village was in the region that was called Galilee now my mum and dad have just been to Israel 
and they had a great time. And I'm sure some of you may have been there as well and had a fantastic time. But when you speak to people that have been to Israel, one of the things they often say is that they loved Galilee. Absolutely loved it. There was just something about it which was just amazing, especially when compared to the kind of hubbub of, of Jerusalem. That wasn't what people thought about Galilee in Jesus' day. I'm not sure it was beautiful, but people did not think what a lovely place Galilee is. Galilee was like the armpit of Israel. It was like the place that nobody wanted to live. The Romans, they didn't like Galilee. The Roman kings, they didn't visit Galilee. The only time they went to Galilee was when there was some trouble and they had to sort it out. They didn't want anything to do with Galilee. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, they didn't like Galilee. It was, it was full of Gentiles. About 100 years before Jesus' um, Jesus' birth, a lot of Gentiles had been forced to convert to Judaism. A lot of the men had been forced to be circumcised. And so, so, so Galilee was full of Gentiles, and it was full of Gentiles who'd been forced to convert to Judaism. It was a kind of an irreligious place. It wasn't the sort of place that the powerful people in Jerusalem really kind of thought much of. It was the armpit of the nation. Nobody really wanted anything to do with Galilee. And yet the king is in Galilee. The king is living in Capernaum, in Galilee. This is what Matthew says. He says, um, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. There's a description of Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles, a place of darkness, a place that they call the land of the shadow of death. And they say, in that place, a light has dawned. In that place is where the king lives. And Jesus begins to teach. Jesus begins to do stuff in Galilee. And he has this message. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is saying to people, look, start to think differently. Turn your life around. Embrace the kingdom of God, which is near to you. And Jesus begins to call people to himself. He begins to call the ordinary folk of Galilee to be his followers. And then Matthew says this in verse 23. He says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus is not just hanging out in Galilee. Jesus is hanging out with the people of Galilee. Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The king, he's hanging out with the lepers. He's hanging out with the poor. He's hanging out with the despised. He's hanging out with the sick. He's hanging out with the demonized. That's where he was. That's what he's doing. He's healing them. And he's restoring them. And he's embracing them. And he's holding their children. And he says that news about Jesus spread all over the region. 
It said it spread all across Syria. Isn't that a prayer for our time? That the news of Jesus Christ might once again spread all the way across Syria. Damascus in Syria is about 135 miles from Galilee. That's a long way when you haven't invented the bicycle, isn't it? And yet the news about Jesus is spreading across the nations and across the region. And the reason it's spreading is because something unprecedented is happening. The king is in Galilee and he's hanging out with the people in Galilee. That's Matthew chapter 4. And then we come to Matthew chapter 5. What was read to us? The Beatitudes. And Matthew says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, people were flocking to him. When he, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I just wonder if Jesus begins by saying, let me give you an explanation for the demonstration. Let me give you an explanation for what I've just been demonstrating. The king is in Galilee. The king is in the armpit of the nation with the forgotten, despised people. And he's doing wonderful things. And then the crowds come to him and he says, let me just explain. And I think the explanation is this, that the kingdom of God is good news. The kingdom of God is good news. The kingdom of God is good news for those who are materially poor. The kingdom of God is good news for those who are impoverished in spirit. The kingdom of God is good news for those who have been beaten up by life. The kingdom of God is good news for those who have suffered terrible, terrible pain. It's good news for those people who, um, who grieve over their loved ones, who grieve over the state of their nation. The kingdom of God is good news for the meek. It's good news for those who do not stand up for themselves. It's good news for those people that have not thrown their weight around or who are unable to throw their weight around. The kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for those people. 
the kingdom's good news for those people who hunger and thirst after righteousness and justice. It's good news for the merciful. It's good news for the pure. It's good news for the persecuted. The explanation for the demonstration is this. The kingdom of God is good news. It's good news for the people in Jerusalem. It's good news for the people in Rome. It's good news for the powerful and the wealthy and, for, and those for whom life is great. But the king's in Galilee, and it's good news for the people of Galilee. The kingdom of God is good news for those people for whom life is not going well, for whom life is hard, for those who are despised and rejected and seen as being cursed by the people. The kingdom of God is good news for them. You know, we can read these verses, can't we? And we can ask ourselves, oh, are, are these things virtues? Are the Beatitudes virtues? Are they things that we should aspire to be? You know, Luke's first Beatitude is, blessed are the poor. Is Jesus suggesting that we should um, seek to be poor? That's a good question. I don't know the answer. What I do know is that if we make them virtues, then it, it, it begins to be about actually we're blessed because of what we achieve, not because of the extraordinary grace of God upon us. Are they, um, are they statements that we, should, we have to kind of spiritualize in some way in order to really understand the meaning of them? Is that what Jesus wants us to do? We have to kind of read spiritual things into each of them. And you'll find plenty of commentators who say, absolutely yes. That's how we understand them. And you'll find plenty of other commentators who go, I don't see that in the Greek. That's a great discussion, isn't it, for your life groups, if you're not sure what, to, what you're going to do on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday night. Are they virtues? Are they statements that we have to spiritualize in order to really understand? What a discussion. What I know for sure is this. There's statements that tell us this. The kingdom of God's good news. The kingdom of God is good news. It's good news for the rich, the powerful but it's good news for Galilee. It's good news for those people who normally get rejected from all the kingdoms of the world. And the king that's in Galilee says, you come and be part of my kingdom. And the king says that it's good news for this life. Life in all of its fullness. A life knowing the joy and the love and the peace and the hope of God in this life. And the king says it's good news for all of eternity. Because one day the king will come again and he will be with his people. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. It's good news. And the people of Galilee, you can come and be part of them. If you come to the king... And if you embrace the life of his kingdom, it's good news. So why did I start with my little story about Jack? It's because there's a 
demonstration of the explanation. There's a young boy who by the age of 14 had thrown so much of his life away. That's not going to look good on a CV. You've been thrown out of six schools in two years. That's a bad start. And so much of the stuff surrounding his life was, it was in, felt impossibly difficult. And yet one night in a little church in the rundown part of a posh town, the king goes, I love you. I accept you. It's a demonstration of the explanation that the kingdom is good news. And so, may we be people, may we be people who just are reminded this morning of the good news of the gospel. Good news for each one of us. Good news of the kingdom. And may we be a church, may we be people who carry that. Yes to Jerusalem, yes to Rome, but yes to Galilee. Yes to the people in our family, yes to the people in our street, the people in our office, people in our school. Shall we stand together and pray?